You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Brar. We've got an awesome show for you today. All sorts of uh, tech news uh, that we're going to be covering. Uh, how do you recycle your old tech? Uh, we've got a lot of this old junk sitting around in garages, old TVs and computers. Well, there's the right way and the wrong way. We'll be talking with our friend Mark Salzman on how to do that. We'll also be uh, talking with the folks over at Open Media, the federal government taxing your internet access. Will they actually put a tax that the ISPs will be charging us? Well, that's being floated around right now, so you'll want to stay tuned for that to find out what's going on. And we'll be talking about the Samsung Galaxy Note 7 again uh, and where that's all headed. I would say rest in peace to the Note 7 because um, we know that it's being discontinued now. And so we're going to talk to our good friend Ted Christonis to see what that means, not only for Samsung, but that sub-brand, the Galaxy Note brand, and what, what ramifications that's going to have moving forward. Lots of uh, tech news uh, this week. I don't know if you've been following this uh, Geophedia service. I have. And this is kind of interesting. It's a, uh, a software platform sor- or service that uh, a lot of police in North America actually subscribe to, police departments. I think over 500 of them. Uh, there's also cities and corporations that do as well. And it essentially ties in uh, all the different types of social media feeds, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And it will actually start helping For example, the police paint a picture of what's happening during certain events. Say, for example, there's a riot going on. We've seen with social media now, people are Instagramming things, hashtagging things. It will actually be able to aggregate all of that so that the police can see this visually uh, as to where it's happening and what direction it might be happening to. Well, Mike, it's not just riots, but public protests, peaceful protests that people are doing. Of course, they are gathering and using social media to, to build a community to, to uh, protest certain things like the Black Lives Matter in the United States. And what, what Geophedia is doing is capturing all that data, what people are saying online, packaging it, and then essentially selling it to the police and giving them this information. Because we know for a fact that police can't just go to a protest and start asking people for their IDs. Because you're just not allowed to do that. But they're using this information that's being publicly broadcast as online. And this created a big controversy with whether the police are allowed or a company is allowed to capture this data and then give it to law enforcement. Well, it's interesting. Uh, the tool, Geophedia, we're talking about, it's marketed as a tool for protest monitoring. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've seen other applications for this as well. Uh, we were at an, an HPE conference back in uh, twenty. Oh, is it still 2016? It's still 2016. (laughs) Back in June then. Uh, And they showed how cities can use these types of tools uh, to to hear what citizens are saying. Like maybe there's a fire hydrant uh, that's spewing water uh, on one street or there's a problem with uh, some of the fountains in a park or a tree is down. They, they take that, that feed and then they can, you know, deploy the appropriate resources for that before, you know, anyone really knows about it. However... You know, a lot of people are upset because they say this violates privacy, especially when the police are monitoring it. But my my question, Andy, is that all this stuff is public. These That's Facebook right. and tweets and Instagram posts are public. So are they really doing anything bad? Well, here's the question, Mike. It is public data. They're using what's known as an API and capturing that data and, and basically organizing it. But the question is, are they taking this public data and then specifically targeting certain groups? Because, and well, then, yes, they are. And, and we know that to be a fact. And so what has happened since this has become more and more um, mainstream 
is now Facebook, Twitter, and all the other social media properties are blocking them from doing this now. So it looks like that's really the end of it. But will there be copycats coming in the future? Oh, there's already copycats out there. Absolutely. And, you know, will they be allowed to block them is uh, another issue. Again, it, it, it falls back to my question. These posts and, and tweets and what have you are public and are in the public domain. They're just finding a way to aggregate it. And, you know, I think eventually uh, they'll probably not even to need to be tied directly in to it. They can just aggregate it from a public standpoint as well. I, so. I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to see law enforcement start hiring police officers whose sole job is to go on and to monitor online activity of what people are saying because this type of, of data, obviously it's useful. They're, they're, they're subscribing to it, but they might take it internally now and have maybe like one officer who's basically monitoring social media posts to see what people are saying during these public protests. Facebook I think there's 1.3 billion users around the world. Uh, you know, I use it quite extensively myself to keep connected with family and friends. Uh, I like the ability to post photos of, you know, what's happening with my family and, and you know, me personally and having, uh, you know, friends and family check that out. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of businesses are having challenges sometimes with Facebook at work because yeah. a lot of people are now... <laughs> Uh, checking their Facebook feeds uh, while they're at the office or, or supposed to be doing work. And that obviously leads to lost productivity and, uh, you know, employers not always happy about that. But Facebook is trying to do something about that. That's right. They're actually creating a new portal called Facebook for Work. So it's that Facebook, you know, the interface, everything, except it is to talk to your colleagues at the office. You could have uh, Facebook Messenger. You could have um, basically live Facebook uh, FaceTime, but everything is happening within that Facebook portal and it's a subscription. So the question is, and Mike, you're a, you're a business owner and I know you're an avid Facebook user. Would you consider something like this for your business? Um, because you already know your employees uh, use Facebook. They understand the interface. Would you use that as an internal way for your employees to communicate? Well, it's interesting. So what they're going to be doing is, again, this Facebook workplace is uh, just an internal thing. So if you've got the uh, ABC Peach Company uh, and you subscribe to this, and I think it's about $3 a user per month. So it's For 1,000 active users. Up to 1,000. Yeah. yeah. Um, then they can use that to communicate with each other. And because everyone knows how to use Facebook, it's obviously not much of a learning curve. But like, why do I want to pay that when they can just use regular Facebook or a number of other free tools uh, to that regard? Uh, you know, I... I don't block Facebook at work. You know, I trust my employees yeah. to get their job done. Uh, you know, we do ask a lot of them. A lot of times they're doing stuff from home or, yeah. you know, out and about. So, you know, I, I think giving employees more freedom, uh, a lot more benefits for me as an employer and, you know, letting them use Facebook at work, it, it hasn't really been a big issue for me. See, the one thing that it might work with this. And there's other types of communication platforms for internal communication. Slack comes to mind. It's a very popular service that a lot of people use. And that's about $6.67 per month per user. So, but the thing about Facebook is everybody already knows how to navigate the Facebook interface. So it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, it's kind of like YouTube. You know, like everybody thinks YouTube is free videos. It's hard for you to start paying to watch YouTube videos. But a lot of people are okay paying Netflix to watch, you know, content. So the question is, even though you can interact in that interface, can you, and someone like yourself, suddenly start paying Facebook to use that when you've been using it for free There's for There's got to be some other benefits to it. I, I just don't see it yet. 
And Maybe. for, I think, a lot of progressive companies, they're already letting their employees use Facebook at work, like regular Facebook. So what's the point? That's right. So um, it will be interesting to see if this actually takes off in the future. Um, but I think some, some larger companies are using it. Facebook, of course, they've been using it for a long time now. So, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting kind of a competition in that workplace communication platform. And just quickly here, YouTube, I don't know if you know this, uh, Andy, but about 300 hours of content gets uploaded every minute on YouTube. Think about that. 300 hours of content gets uploaded every minute on YouTube. So a lot of these people that are uploading it now uh, are actually relying on it as kind of uh, a revenue source. You know, you hear about these YouTubers uh, that try to get their subscribers up, and they've got different types of YouTube channels. Well, YouTube is, uh, I guess, demonetizing some of these uh, uh, these videos, you know, as you can imagine, with that much content going up there, they have to have computers analyze the video, and uh, they're making calls. The computers are anyway on which are advertiser friendly and which ones are not. And if you get classified as not advertiser friendly, you don't get any uh, ad revenue. Now, when you have that much content being uploaded to Facebook, they're using algorithms, not real people, to do this. And a lot of people have issue with this because this algorithm is looking for certain keywords to deem whether this is friendly to advertisers or not. For example, if you make a video about suicide prevention, how, if you're having suicidal thoughts, what to do, which is great content, um, this algorithm will flag that and say, no, that's not friendly to advertisers, so you're not going to make money, even though you can help a lot of people who... Well, why is it flagging it? Because suicide is Because it? of the word of suicide. Yeah, so, I, so, I, I imagine there's some sort of appeal process, but um, it, it starts getting subjective at that point, really. Don't you think, Andy? So for a lot of these guys that are trying to make money on YouTube, uh, there's kind of a big controversy about this right now because because uh, it is so subjective. And in, in this case here, again, the computers are doing it first. And, it, and, it, and I guess the unfortunate part is it's going to almost tell the content creators what kind of content you need to create to basically um, get ads from that. And before this, it was just you make stuff. If people watch it, you're going to make money. But now you have to be conscious of the kind of content that you're creating. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Samsung Galaxy Note 7 and what is the future for Samsung. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. Time to talk about smartphones and one that's been in the news for the past few weeks, uh, the Galaxy Note 7. On the line right now, we've got our good friend, Cred, Cred? Ted <laughs> Critsonis. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. So uh, what's the latest with the Samsung Galaxy 7? I know it's been discontinued several times now, but is it like totally, totally discontinued now? What are they doing? Yeah, no. So basically, it's uh, it, it's actually a second recall is really what's going on here. So as, as, as many probably have already heard or know, there was an initial recall that happened in September where the where the devices because of oh, there with all these issues uh the people were reporting with uh with the battery catching fire and so on and so forth so they they issued a recall now the more recent issue is that the the, the replacement devices have been basically doing the same thing now these are they, there have been a number of cases it's just not that it's been i don't know that it's been widespread but it's enough so that the company is now recalling the replacements as well and this is funny because the replacements were supposed to fix this entire problem. It was an issue with the battery. 
if you had one of the original Note 7s, you had to return it. They would give you a new one. But, Ted, it looks like even that one, and there was that case on the, um, was it the Southwest, Southwest Airline flight where one of the replacements actually caught fire. Tell us a little bit what happened with that. Yeah, so the report was that the, 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 the phone uh, caught fire on the plane. Now, the, 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 the flight, the plane did not actually take off. This, is, this was during boarding, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I believe it was, when it was uh, after they aborted. The plane didn't actually take off, but it had to be evacuated uh, because of this. Um, it, it kind of burned a hole through the carpet. Like, it was it's a bad scene. Like, it, I mean, it, if you're Samsung, this is, that's really bad PR, right? Um, and I should, you know, to your point, Andy, I think it should be noted that in the first recall, the battery was called out as the reason. That was the causation uh, for this, for the for the fact that the, the phones were doing this. Um, now, to my knowledge, to this point, I have not heard an official reason given for why the replacements have been doing the same thing. But you can infer that because it's the same type of a situation where you have these things catching fire, that's probably the battery again. There's something to do with how the battery works with the other uh, components inside. How much is this going to cost Samsung? It's it's not going to be cheap. This this would be in the billions of dollars. The initial recall was a billion dollars, uh, estimated. So that was the initial recall. Now you have another one. And Grant, you're not recalling as many devices, but... I can only imagine, you know, what they spent on components, what they spent on production, on shipping. I mean, all these different uh, things that come, all these logistical things that come in the supply chain that have already been paid for. Uh, I can't come up with a number, but I think you're right, Mike. I think that it, it's got to be the billions for sure. Well, you look at the stock price, um, Andy. Like I think it, they dropped, uh, I think seven to nine billion dollars uh, because obviously uh, revenue will be down and profit will be down because you know their flagship phone there was probably one of the higher profit uh, making items that uh, they had. That's right. Ted, you know, we've, we've heard about this right after the launch. I remember all of us were raving on this phone. It was such a beautiful phone, uh, great pictures. It, it was just an all, like, you would have won phone of the year in my books. But when this problem happened, how do you think Samsung did with managing this from a disaster point of view? Because, you know, they have the public relations kind of disaster team in place. Did you think they managed this well? Because I think they made a lot of mistakes going through this entire uh, mishap. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, uh, I agree with some of the sentiments I've heard uh, out there, which is that, okay, why was there silence, first of all, when replacement devices were being reported uh, as, as, you know, frying, basically? Um, and, you know, and I get it. I mean, you want to verify that it is, in fact, a replacement device and so on and so forth. But there, there was some silence on that, on that front. And then online, there have been postings also of very strange emails that people were getting when they were re- requesting what to do as to replacements or, you know, who do I take it back to? What do I do? Um, there were some strange kind of responses that were coming from the company. And then finally, the CEO of Samsung has basically been, uh, I mean, you haven't seen him or heard anything from him on this. And, and I find that really strange. Uh, you know, so, I, I mean, you could argue that part of this is cultural, that maybe you know, it's a Korean company, maybe they do things both, but I, I don't think that matters. I think ultimately, when you have a, a, a disastrous situation like this, you want the head of the company to show his face 
to take responsibility and to, you know, try to at least tame the confidence that the consumers have had in your brand. Another thing they did that uh, you didn't mention but I thought was a bad move is they came up with this update, a software update that allowed the phone to charge only up to 60% because what they found was after 60, that's when the problem happened. The issue is for that update to get to the user, the end user, it had to go through the carrier that you got your phone. So a lot of people weren't able to get that update and now they're doing the complete recall. They're basically taking all the phones back and even that is a little bit confusing if you if you look at their their emails that they send to the end user, um, it can be kind of confusing on how to get those those devices back. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and that, that I think is in addition to the point that I made about the communication side of all this, right? It, the people were confused and they weren't really sure what to do. So that that software update that you're referring to, was, which was in fact rolled out, uh, I don't know that a lot of people were aware that it happened because the carriers were also uh, it was it was it, the responsibility in many ways was given to the carriers to communicate that to their customers and you could argue that that wasn't necessarily well done either um, but in the end it, it's I, I guess it's immaterial because it didn't solve any problem I mean we still had phones catching fire and essentially I think if it we're at a point now where this device is probably dead. Uh, and never will come to market in any shape or form. And so, you know, does what does it mean for the future of the note? Uh, uh, well, we'll have to the note line. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, from uh, what I do understand, it, it is kind of. Uh, in the dustbin, dustbin of history now, essentially. Uh, you know, if you do have one of these phones, obviously you do need to get it back. Uh, contact your carrier, or if you've got it from Samsung, directly uh, contact them for uh, information. Uh, Ted, thanks so much for joining us once again. It's a pleasure, Garrett. That was Ted Kritsonis, our uh, good tech friend out in, in Toronto. When we come back from the break, if you've got old tech stuff sitting around your home, in your garage, or in your closet... And believe me, I still have a lot of this stuff. I know you do. <laughs> there is the right way and the wrong way to uh, to get rid of them. So we're going to be talking with Mark Salzman on uh, what are some of the best practices. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected, Mike and Andy here in studio. we still got lots to talk about on today's program. Uh, in a little while, we'll be talking with the folks over at Open Media. Is the federal government planning on imposing an ISP tax, an ISP tax? A digital tax on everything? Well, it's being floated out there, so uh, we're going to get the lowdown on that. And, of course, we'll also do App of the Week later on in the program with uh, Christina. Up now, though, we've got our friend Mark Salzman on the line. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on Get Connected. Well, I uh, wanted to get you on because uh, I've been looking at my garage, and I am uh, starting to get a lot of old tech junk piling up. <laughs> and uh, apparently you've got some, uh, some great tips on where I can take it. Yeah, that's right. I, I am not surprised with what you guys do for a living, that you have a garage full of junk, if not also a basement, cupboard, <laughs> Mark, closets. I, Mark, I call Mike's garage the Get Connected Graveyard. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> All the gadgets of yesteryear. Exactly. And, you know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate that we, we do upgrade our technology quite a bit. Uh, Canadians, we love buying our new, our new gadgets, whether it's... Uh, 
smartphones or tablets or laptops, TVs, audio gear, camera equipment, the list goes on and on. There's also, you know, uh, home office stuff like big printers. So what do you do, right? We typically don't want to lose them for some dumb, for some dumb reason we think we want to, that they're going to accumulate in value. Uh, but we never want to get rid of them. But it is time to recycle them and do it properly before we're buying new tech for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, the holidays, and so on. So it is Waste Reduction Week on the 17th of October. That's this Monday. So what better time to talk about how to properly recycle your tech? Because A, you don't want to throw it in the garbage can. B, you don't want to put it in the blue box because that's not where it goes. Instead, the easiest thing to do is to go to the website, recyclemyelectronics.ca. You type in your postal code, and it'll show you where the closest drop-off location is to you. This, this is an authorized depot where you bring your tech. It could be a retail store like London Drugs where you're going to go shopping anyways. You drop it off and then they will properly uh, recycle uh, these, these electronics and, and take out the important minerals and uh, materials rather inside of these. They will extract it properly and safely. So that means that not only will that go into new products, and I'm talking about all the valuable resources that are inside of them, but it also means that they don't have to spend the time and energy but try to extract them out of the ground again, things like copper and gold and, and making glass and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's kind of scary. You know, I've seen some of these pictures on the Internet. I don't know how true or not they are, but, you know, these giant landfills in China where a lot of this junk is shipped, and obviously that's not being recycled properly. But, you know, to your point, uh, you know, there are resources uh, for people to, uh, you know, contact to find out where they can take this stuff. And this is everything. It's never been easier. I I can tell you in Ontario, where I live, uh, these collection depots, they're within 10 kilometers of where you live. And I'm sure it's comparable in B.C. as well. They're everywhere. And they will, and I've visited one of these recycling plants that are, this is all part of the, this group called the EPRA. And they, they will have these, uh, recycling plants all around the province, all across the country that, as I mentioned, properly recycle these electronics. And I've visited one of them firsthand. And they all have, you know, tons of safety gear on, and then they're extracting these precious materials. They're separating the glass from the metal, from the plastic, from the, the precious materials. They're taking out the hazardous stuff as well that you don't want going into landfills, things like beryllium and cadmium and these, you know, these harmful like, you know, mercury and other things that you want to get out of the landfills. And it goes into brand new products. So again, it's never been easier. Just go to recyclemyelectronics.ca. You'll find your closest drop-off location and away you go. So, but you know, here's a good tip that I learned actually is you mentioned your garage earlier, Mike. So if you have a bin uh, or a, a, a box that you can just keep somewhere in your closet, in your cupboard, in your basement, in your garage. Just throw stuff in there that you know you no longer need. Things like uh, a camera that doesn't work anymore so you can't donate it, or uh, an aging computer printer that uh, doesn't work. So put that in. Then once in a while, when you go to that electronic store, just bring that with you and drop it off. Just do it all in one shot. It's funny you mentioned that, Mark. I, I kind of do that with my uh, bottles, and I try to collect them and get them to a level where it makes sense for me to bring them all back. But you know, to, to tie in your, all your old tech products at the same time makes a lot of sense. So you can take away all your recyclables, your bottles, and, and get that deposit back. But then also take your tech and drop that off at the same time. 
Now, you know, Andy, I don't know how much you drink, but I know how, how much Mike Agarbo drinks, so he's probably <laughs> going to the liquor store every day with bottles. Yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm used to it. that he had. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm so, teasing it. No, I know. We've been, we've, been, we've been known to enjoy a snifter of two when we catch up or at an industry event, Mike. That's right. Talking tech all the time. That's uh, right. So let's just quickly talk about some of the items that people can recycle. Obviously, computers, laptops, monitors. You name it. I mean, it's all at that website, recycle your, uh, recyclemyelectronics.ca, but you're starting off on the small things. Uh, again, the first thing you want to do is see if you can donate it. Hand it down to uh, a sibling, a family member, bring it to a local community center, a church. If it's still usable and it still works, then try to reuse rather than recycle. If you're going to recycle, then you'll drop it off to one of those depots, and it can be a small item like a smartwatch, uh, an, old, an aging smartphone, and then going up from there, a, a tablet, an ebook reader, a laptop, of course, a desktop, a tower, you know, an old monitor that's broken, and going up to even bigger items like a computer printer uh, and the like, a fax machine if you still have one of those, uh, and a, a big SLR camera that's broken and cannot be replaced. You may want to save the lens if you can, and then all the way up to a TV. You know, and everything in between, VCRs, DVD players, Blu-ray players, video game consoles, anything electronic. Well, that's quite a list. Mark, again, the website they go to? RecycleMyElectronics.ca, and that's uh, part of the Electronic Products Recycling Association, or EPRA, and you just type in your postal code. It'll show your closest drop-off location, and it will be near you. The right way to recycle. We've been talking with Mark Salzman. When we come back, is the federal government looking to tax our Internet service? Well, let's find out. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected, Mike and Andy here in studio. Coming up after the next break, we'll be uh, looking at App of the Week with Christina Stoyanova. Right now, though, uh, I don't know if you've been following the news uh, in the past week, uh, Andy, kind of a bit more kerfuffle about uh, this rumor that uh, the federal government is planning on imposing an ISP tax, kind of a digital tax on everything. On the line right now, we've uh, got David Christopher. He's the communications manager over at Open Media to help us understand what this is all about. Thanks for joining us, David. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, thank you for having me. So um, this kind of just came to uh, my attention again this week. I know there's been kind of this rumbling around for a while, but explain to our listeners what's going on. Yes, this has indeed been, I think, rumbling under the surface for uh, quite some time now, but it's really come to the fore over the past week or so, it's really clear that there's a big push on from large broadcasters and from uh, some of the large publishers uh, for this ISP tax. Now, this would be a compulsory tax that every Internet user in Canada would have to pay, and it would be on top of the sales taxes, which you know we all pay anyway, on our Internet bills. Uh, so I think you can bet that this is going to be a pretty a controversial proposal. Um, it's in the hands of the Heritage Minister, uh, Melanie Jolie, uh, because this is being put forward as part of a whole series of consultations that uh, Canadian Heritage is uh, currently undertaking, uh, you know, looking at the future of the broadcasting industry, the future of Canadian culture, uh, all that sort of thing. So uh, I think this is going to be something that's going to be hotly debated over the uh, days and weeks to come. So again, for the listeners, this proposed tax is basically they want to bring this money in to pay for creating more Canadian content online. 
Uh, that's uh, it, It's a little unclear as to what this money would be used for, but in a nutshell, it's to try and shore up industries that are struggling. You know, we all know that the newspaper industry uh, has been uh, struggling in the digital age. Uh, broadcasting is also uh, having its challenges. And it looks like the uh, executives of these big publishing companies and big broadcasters uh, kind of see this as a quick fix uh, to try and, uh, you know, shore up their own struggling industries uh, by taxing something that's actually really successful. Um, now, of course, you know, that's a terrible idea uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, firstly, you know, it's certainly not uh, a long-term solution uh, to the problems of the uh, uh, broadcasting and the uh, publishing sector. Um, secondly, it's basically taxing something that's a, a public good. Uh, you know, normally when you look at the kind of taxes uh, that uh, Canadians are kind of might grumble about but are more or less would understand the re- reason for uh, they tend to be sin taxes. Uh, so you're talking there's a tax on alcohol, uh, there's a steep tax on tobacco, for example, and people understand that because these are tobacco especially uh, is a habit that, you know, the government wants to discourage. But the Internet is opposite. Uh, the Internet is uh, such a public good. I mean, there's abundant evidence uh, from Canada, from right around the world, that the more people in the society who are connected to the Internet, uh, the better it is for, uh, for that country, for that country's society, and also for that country's digital economy. And yet here in Canada, we already pay some of the highest prices in the industrialized world uh, for Internet service, uh, with the result that very large portions of the Canadian public do not have, cannot afford home Internet access. Uh, I think you're talking one in four Canadian households. If you're looking at low-income households, that rises to one in two. Uh, so we're already faced with a really tough situation, and putting on an additional ISP tax would make that situation far, far worse. Well, David, you make a great point. You know, the Internet or having Internet access to the home was at one point an option for every family. You would choose to have it. But I think in this digital age that we live in, it's almost like a utility, just like water is and electricity is for your household. And and you made a good point that, you know, to have to have everyone have access to Internet is going to help the Canadian economy, the digital economy, because... I can't imagine starting a small business today in your garage without having some type of internet access to help you promote it and to build your client base. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, the internet is is vital for people to uh, take part in the digital economy, whether or not you're starting a small business, whether or not you want to uh, simply express yourself, yourself, perhaps you're an artist or a creator. Um, uh, or, or even if you, you just something as basic as you're unemployed and you need to find a job. I mean, imagine how tough that that can be without having uh, home internet access. So, and it, it's a really uh, uh, difficult to understand why the government would even consider this proposal, uh, given that uh, another department of the government, the Innovation uh, Department under Navdeep Bains, has been looking at ways to actually make internet more affordable to broaden uh, access out to ensure that you know all Canadians can have affordable access to the internet. Uh, the CRTC has been conducting, uh, you know, I think it's been going on for about a year and a half now, really detailed consultations on how to ensure uh, affordable internet access for all Canadians. So imposing an ISP tax 
on every Canadian internet user would completely undermine uh, and push back those efforts. So it just doesn't make any sense, I think, no matter which way you uh, look at it. David, though, at the moment, it's just speculation. When do you think we're going to get more information on which way they're truly leaning? I think it's really up to uh, Melanie Jolie as the uh, minister responsible here. Uh, you know, this proposal is being put, there's clearly a really significant push for this uh, from very powerful interests in the broadcasting and the publishing sector. So I think this is going to be a real test uh, for Melanie Jolie, whether she's able to balance that big push uh, from the special interests uh, and actually look beyond that to the interests of the Canadian public as a whole uh, and to our digital future uh, as a country, because certainly, you know, Canada has already fallen so far behind many of our industrialized uh, global counterparts, uh, and this tax would be another, it would really be a hammer blow. Uh, it would actually, you know, for, for some low-income Canadians, this tax will make the difference uh, between whether or not they can afford uh, internet access in their home. Uh, so very, very serious uh, implications all around here, and I certainly hope Melanie Jolie will will look at all sides of this issue, uh, and really, uh, I think rule. I think the sooner this idea is ruled out, uh, the better, uh, so that we can get on to look at uh, better ways uh, in which to uh, support uh, Canadian content and uh, broadcasting. We're talking with David Christopher, communication manager over at Open Media, about uh, the speculated uh, federal tax on ISPs, uh, a digital tax. Uh, where can people find out more information, David? Uh, we, uh, we've actually got a, uh, had an article uh, published by our own uh, Josh Tabish in the Financial Post uh, yesterday, and a copy of that is available uh, on our website at openmedia.org. Uh, and as this issue sort of develops over the coming weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at ways to uh, uh, keep people informed, uh, to ensure and looking at ways in which we can make sure that uh, Canadian voices uh, get heard at this uh, at the highest possible level. When we come back from the break, we'll be chatting with Christina Stoyanova about App of the Week, and we'll also announce uh, this week's prize at GetConnectedMedia.com. It's pretty cool, so stay tuned. We got an excellent contest this week. Uh, You may have heard our interview with the folks over at TP-Link last week. Well, they've been gracious enough to give us a prize pack. We're giving away TP-Link Powerline adapters. These are little adapters that you could use the you know, the electrical grid inside your house to transfer internet from one room to another through the electrical outlet. So if you have, say, the kids playing PlayStation in the basement, you could use this so they can get super fast internet. We're also giving away a smart plug from TP-Link. You want to turn your coffee maker on from your bed using an app? You can with this (laughs) smart plug. It's absolutely necessary if you're trying to build a connected home. Thank God. And you got to check this out. It's something that I know we've both tried out and it has a lot of cool applications. To learn more about both these prizes from TP-Link, go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Thanks again for uh, coming in the studio, Christina. What do you got up for us? Uh, I have a pretty cool app, I have to say. It's called Five. Five? Yes. And what does it do? Um, It actually helps people sign. They can send text messages via sign language. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. So So, you type in what you want to say. Yeah, so you can type in uh, a word 
and it automatically searches for that word and shows you the sign. And then you can send that in. You can actually send them in a string so you can build a sentence or whatever. And you can also choose a facial expression for the little uh, avatar that signs this on the other end. That's that's kind of cool. So this would be a great educational tool as well if you wanted to try to learn how. Yeah, I was actually playing around with it, and it's kind of cool because he actually goes through the motions as you're um, selecting the things that you want to say. So you could actually use it to learn. And uh, what uh, is it av- available on uh, iPhone and Android phones? Yeah, it is for both. It's uh, available for free. And actually, there's a really cool story behind this. Um, the CEO of this company is 18 years old. Oh, he just went cool. to his high school prom in Poland and managed to get $150,000 of investment for this company. Really? Yeah. I love those kind of stories. That is fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Apparently, this started as just sort of a silly app because he and his friends liked to, you know, text custom signs to each other. And, uh, of course, it picked up interest for the uh, hard of hearing community. So Makes me wonder what I'm doing with my life. You should wonder that, <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> 18, God, what was I doing then? Not, nothing good. Uh, so, again, it's uh, called Five? Five, yes. Five. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com, for the TP-Link prize pack. Expand that Wi-Fi in your home and get uh, rid of all the dead spots. That's all the time we have left. I want to thank Andy and Christina for coming in studio. Back again next time.